Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope everyone is doing well. And welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Mr. C in the Dark. I hope it's not too dark for you guys out there. Can we, we can probably raise that up a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know if I like it that bright. Okay. Maybe so, maybe no. Maybe how, maybe now. I hope everyone's doing well out there. And uh, yeah, coming on extra late in the dark tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys are having a fantastic, what has now become a Saturday morning in the dark of the night. We're doing it here casual style with uh, Mr. C in the dark. I am your host, Mr. C. As per the huge, you might be huge to that. You might not be huge to that, but uh, we are definitely broadcasting live on the most important of platforms. We are uh, coming to you guys over at the foxhole.app at pill.net. We're coming to you over at Clout Hub. We are coming to you over at Rumble, and we are coming over to you at Twitch. As always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being part of the audience tonight. If you're catching us live, we do this live here just for you guys. Now, I was really questioning about coming on tonight only because it was a long day. This is my official third stream of the day. And I'm not complaining by any means, trust me, but I'm just saying. It's my third stream of the day for today, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, my day consists of upon the hours that I arise to the, the hours that I, uh, you know, go to sleep and become dormant for whatever amount of hours, you know. <laughs> for whatever amount of hours that a person like me may sleep. Well, let's get into what we're going to get into tonight. Tonight's topic du jour is Les Vexner, okay? You know what? You guys, late night, deserve some good shit. I'm going to try and give it to you guys tonight. Now, you might, you might recognize at this point that what we do in the dark is much different from what we do in the light. In the light, we do the sea report. In the dark, we bring light to the dark, okay? We're going to talk about Les Vexner tonight. That's the reason why I'm here tonight. That's what I stumbled upon tonight as we were going on, as I was trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about, okay? I'm sh and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there have a sense of what we'll be talking about and maybe know a thing or two about what we're talking about. Uh, so drop your knowledge, drop your links, do all that stuff today. Because we're going to jump into Les Vexner tonight, Okay. Because I've been prompted by a lot of my viewers to talk about this man. Now, I understood Les Vexner to be uh, a very uh, prominent, uh, you know, fashion and industry mogul, you know, a corporate tycoon. Uh, you know, we're talking about what? 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 Victoria's Secret? You know? Have you guys seen any of the recent Victoria's Secret models? I've been watching... Uh, videos by uh, that Miss McAllister lady. And uh, she had one that just came out that was talking about how all the Victoria's Secret models were men. And you know what? I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, so it's very believable. <laughs> it's 
it's very believable. I don't doubt it, actually, when you look at the bone structure and the figures of the individuals. Yeah, that's a man's body, baby. It's a man's body. But we're not, that's not what we're talking about tonight. So I'm, I apologize for interjecting that moment into your head, but we're not talking about that tonight. Now, before we get into it, what I most definitely wanted to do was uh, show you guys some stories. Let's let's do some stories real quick before we jump into Lex Vexner for tonight that I think are worth showing. Uh, we have a lot of situations here regarding human trafficking and child sex trafficking and pedophilia that we need to bring to the light. So we're going to highlight a couple of recent stories that I think are worth exploring because we cannot allow this topic to fall into the waste side. Okay, now what can be said about this, ladies and gentlemen, for a fact is we cannot fix human trafficking. We cannot fix child sex trafficking if we don't have a country, okay? So literally, just like abortion, just like gay rights, just like, uh, you know, racial bull stuff, you know, we cannot address any of those peripheral issues if we don't have a country, a foundation to do it on, which is why I talk about you know, election integrity and election fraud as a primary centerpiece in the C report, because our vote is our freedom. Our vote is our liberty. Our vote is our sovereignty. It's not just our voice. It's not just our choice, but it is literally symbolic of our freedom, ladies and gentlemen. It is literally symbolic of why this country is able to exist as it does. And it's on paper, granted, but without that vote, the most coveted commodity in this entire damn world, more coveted than gold, more coveted than the diamond of the sea, more coveted than any piece or any part of wealth in this world is the vote of the American people. No one else has what we have on paper. No one else can say that they can do and be and live and move and exist as they want as the American people do because of their ability to vote. And this is all on paper. Don't get me wrong. Like I recognize that they've mucked it up. They've messed it up. They've taken it five ways to Sunday. Okay. And that they have already stripped of us of our, they've already stripped us of some of our rights. They've already stripped us of some of our liberties. They've already put us in a cage, but on paper, we're still fucking free guys on paper. We are still fucking free. Okay. But that hangs in the balance at the conclusion of this sped-up 16-year plan that was derailed by Donald Trump, okay? Because if Clinton had gotten in, as I'm sure you all recognize, we'd be at the conclusion of that story. We received a grace from God that allowed us to wake up, that allowed us to stand up and do something against it, okay? And it just so happens that it was wrapped up in a, uh, in a, uh, <laughs> in a, in a, a, a terse, furly kind of gold hair pullover named Donald Trump coming down a golden escalator with a hot wife. Okay. That was our grace. Take it where you get it, guys. But it gave us a moment to wake up. It gave us a moment to recognize the dire situation that we were in. 
And we wouldn't be here without that grace, ladies and gentlemen. So we can't fight human trafficking. We cannot stop child sex trafficking without our ability to vote, without our ability to have that sacred promise that is the right of the people. Okay, and that's why we talk about that the most on the Sea Report, because none of none of anything else, not even the Second Amendment, not even the First Amendment are useful for us in this day and age without that sacred right. Now, the First Amendment's always going to be useful and valid, but if you can't vote, if everything is staged... They're going to clamp you down. They're going to shut you down like they're trying to do right now. And that's all I'm trying to say. Okay, I'm not trampling on our First and Second Amendment rights. But what I am saying is if we can't vote on those rights, if we can't vote for our liberties, then they might as well not be existent. So I get it. Why focus on child sex trafficking? Why focus on human trafficking when you have all of these treasonous and satanic players who are already holding us down in that matter? I get it. But that does not mean that we should shy away from talking about these topics. And we're going to bring light to the darkness of these topics, at least here and now, for the next hour or so. So I wanted to share a couple of stories with you guys that are recent in the news about human and child sex trafficking. And then we're going to jump into Les Vexner. And if you guys have any information on these topics, please, by all means, let me know in the chat rooms, drop the links, share your knowledge, because we only become wealthier with the more knowledge that we share with each other. Okay, so this first uh, this first article is from uh, I don't really quite know. It's probably like from N MSNBC, NBC or something like that. Right. Okay, but this is the same story that we've heard all around. Every year, no matter where the Super Bowl is hosted, experts say there's a spike in the demand for sex trafficking victims. Sometimes those victims are children. This is this is this is very recent. We are in Super Bowl season, ladies and gentlemen. This article was published yesterday, okay? For the host city of, super, of each Super Bowl, there's a guaranteed influx of visitors and money. And while a boost for those for the Inglewood economy is welcome, there's a dark side to hosting the big game. Many of those hotel rooms were full with children and minors, said Alan Smythe. Executive Director of Saving Innocence, a nonprofit group that rescues children from sex traffickers. And for some, that's a that's a welcome revelation and others not, not necessarily. But they already paid their money and they showed up and this is what I'm doing. They've already kind of sold that part of their soul. Once they've crossed the line to actually buy a human being for their own personal gratification, it's a pretty small leap. Then they're not going to split hairs in terms of what the age is and those kinds of things. It's pretty heartbreaking for the kids. The youngest sex trafficking victim saving innocence has helped was just seven years old. Anyone coming to the Super Bowl is wealthy, Smythe said in an interview with ABC7. The cost of getting into the Super Bowl and getting to stay in the expensive hotels and buying the meals, they're not here just for the game. They're probably here for several days. 
And there's a small percentage of mostly men that will use that as an opportunity as part of their entertainment to have some form of sexual encounter. Los Angeles is already one of the worst cities for human trafficking because of its busy international airport and proximity to the U.S.-Mexican border. And yet 83% of sex trafficker trafficking victims in the U.S. are United States citizens, according to the Department of Justice. Ori Freeman is a survivor of child sex trafficking. She was sold on the streets of L.A. thousands of times when she was 11 years old until she was 15. It's about a grace of God that I'm still alive out of the things that I experienced, she told ABC7. Ori says predators can now target anyone because of social media. You think not my child? Does your children have access to social media? Does your child have access to the internet? No, your child is a vulnerable youth, she said. It's not just this minority kid, although it might be a large percentage. It's not this minority kid from South Central LA that grew up in the projects or in the hood that gets exploited. It's also those kids that are on Instagram, on websites, and talking to sugar daddies and thinking, all I'm going to do is give somebody a massage and they end up in a lifestyle that they don't know how far it's going to take them. As the city of Inglewood prepares to host Super Bowl, was that 56? About 14 groups, including Saving Innocents, are collaborating with the NFL and the Rams as part of the South Los Angeles Anti-Human Trafficking Committee. Special, special agents from the Department of Homeland Security are also working quietly in the area we operate and you guys know you guys are probably thinking what i'm thinking you guys are probably thinking that uh this department of homeland security that this uh these these uh these silent groups here are probably going to be part of the trafficking and the shameful thing uh especially when we're talking about los angeles is they have the child trafficking and boy love symbols on their fucking badge. So are they really going to be helping? Or are they really going to be helping the cause that they say they're fighting against? I don't want to have that much cynicism about humanity. But uh, the fruit of their works will be proven once it has laid bare. Right? Okay. So getting back into this article, not to be cynical, but getting back into this article. It says, we operate in the shadows in order to combat the traffickers that are operating in the shadows, said Eddie Wang, deputy special agent in charge, Homeland Security Investigations, Los Angeles. Now, you may not see us, but I promise and assure the public that HSI special agents will be out there protecting the venue, as well as identifying victims, rescuing victims, and arresting traffickers during that time. Microsoft may earn an affiliate commission if you purchase something through... Blah. Fuck Microsoft. Okay. So there you go, guys. There's that first article we're dipping into. We got... We got... I, you know, I don't pay attention to uh, these big sporting events. So uh, I, I forgot that it's February. It's football season. 
screw screw black black history month we got uh we got the super bowl to think about ladies and gentlemen probably uh probably the reason why that's set up exactly in that month wouldn't you think anyways guys so yeah you know i've seen uh reports from uh broward county florida where they were talking about busts in their uh, county and their region during the super bowl and they did a lot of work over there guys but uh, i've heard i've heard other things about broward county uh now what's this next story i have to share with you guys before we dip into lex vexner no pun intended okay we got a story from uh the uk independent give me an immersive reader here babe are you gonna do it for me or not no okay fine fuck you all right this is a story from it looks like actually this is not a recent one this is from 2016 and uh this is a highlight of an international story okay so let's see what it says here massive pedophilia ring uncovered by police in norway after arrest of 51 men oh, i remember why we're i wanted to share this story with you guys because about uh, uh two weeks ago when we were talking about the sins of the catholic church okay and some of you guys out there remember what we were talking about you guys are out there in the audience right now we are covering the connection between the catholic church pedophilia and human and child sex trafficking okay this was a linked story in one of the articles that we were going through and it was about a huge pedophile ring in norway okay now to we Americans who are just learning about these things, we're like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense that this would happen during the Super Bowl. Just like the article pointed out, there's every reason to believe. But uh, when we're talking about things like this, and this isn't the only story on the international scale that I have to share with you at the moment. We're going to get into another one. But you don't, we don't even realize that these things exist, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to be able to understand and to face this very demonic situation and take it head on with the strength and the armor that is provided to us by our faith and our strength above and put that light on it. We ain't pussies here, ladies and gentlemen. We're here for a reason, okay? Massive pedophile ring uncovered by police in Norway after arrest of 51 men. Authorities seize 150 terabytes of data, including photos, videos, and chat transcripts. It says here, Police in Norway have filed charges against 51 men suspected of involvement in a massive pedophile ring. Authorities seized 150 terabytes, that's 150,000 gigabytes of data, including photos, videos, and chat transcripts between members of various pedophile networks. Is that all you got to say? I hope not. That's all they had to say. Really? Oh my goodness. That's almost like clickbait, guys. <laughs> that's almost like clickbait. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. It's underneath a paywall. Register for free to continue reading. You know what? We can get around this paywall, guys. You want to get around this paywall? Because I want to know what the rest of this article has to say. So let me show you how I get around a paywall. I take the title of the article, 
I paste it into a search and I wait for someone who has copied that article and we find out what they said. Let's see. Spiritual hip hop over at wordpress.com. Norwegian authorities crack. Okay, let's see. Hey, spiritual hip hop. Thank you for copying this article and marrying it on your blog. All right, let's see. And I bet you I got, I bet you I got immersive reader on this. Bam, ladies and gentlemen, we's about to read this article for free. Fuck the paywall. Okay. All right. Operation Dark Room, Norwegian authorities crack international pedophile ring, massive pedophile ring uncovered by police in Norway after arrest of 51 men. Let's see what this, uh, let's see what at this UK independent was depriving us because they want us to pay for information. Okay. Authorities seize 150 terabytes of data, including photos, videos, and chat transcripts. Police in Norway have filed charges against 51 men suspected of involvement in a massive pedophile ring. Okay, we got up to this point, 150,000 gigabytes, right? Okay. Known as Dark Room, the police operation revealed sexual assaults against children as young as babies, according to The Local. The material shows the abuse of children of all ages, including infants. Hildi Rikras, head of Operation Darkroom, said at a news conference, All of the men arrested live in Norway, but police confirmed they were investigating one individual living abroad. It is considered one of the largest sexual abuse cases ever in the country. Ms. Rikras said those detained had met each other on the dark net, an ungoverned space online where users can surf with more anonymity. Clinton implicated in Norway pedo ring. Oh my God. <laughs> Are we biting off more than we can chew right now, ladies and gentlemen? Clearly, I guess this, uh, this article ended there. <laughs> We're going to read this next article, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Clinton implicated in Norway. Let's see what it's got to say, guys, because guess what? This was behind a paywall, which means we never would have seen it if we didn't crack it. So let's see what it says. Use your discernment, guys. Use your discernment. Use your heart and your gut and see. Let's see what it says. Clinton. I didn't know this, guys. This is I'm doing this all cold. I cold read a lot. I don't I don't often read all the articles before the show. Clinton implicated in Norway pedo ring. Okay, this might be a brand new one, guys. I ain't heard this one yet. Evidence has emerged that Hillary Clinton is connected. To, keep in mind, this is a this is an international article, guys. This is international, not U.S. propaganda. So keep that in mind. Evidence has emerged that Hillary Clinton is connected to the pedophile ring recently uncovered in Norway involving 51 people, including politicians, teachers, and doctors. Following the arrest of 20 people connected to child abuse scandal, Clinton Foundation donors in Norway have withdrawn their support for Hillary Clinton amid rumors that Hillary has connections to the pedophile ring. Given what we've learned already from the Podesta emails, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that powerful elites in the United States had strong motivation to prevent four years of Clinton and Podesta in the spotlight. Any political figure connected to pedophilia 
human trafficking, or a host of other crimes can be easily controlled and manipulated through blackmail, but once the secret gets out, they are no longer effective sales puppets. Meanwhile, elites in Norway could be attempting to distance themselves from the Clinton Foundation for the same reasons. More information is needed to solidify this possible connection, which is why the ongoing open source investigation by multiple internet communities is essential. Okay. Okay. That was a little bit clickbait, but it's actually very reasonable if you think about it. Like, there is causality. There is... uh, (laughs) There is reason to believe that this is true, but their reason for for saying that is because the elites were disassociating themselves from the Clinton Foundation. It's reasonable to believe, don't you think? I believe it. We know about Clinton and the uh, multiple laptops from hell. Wiener, okay? Norway pedophile scandal, politicians, police, reportedly among 20 arrested suspects. I don't know how many of these articles they have. I have not e- I'm cold reading this right now, guys. I- <laughs> it's not funny, but it's interesting. Okay, I'm not trying to be... Uh... Speak and Easy asks when that article is published. This would have to be sometime around 2016. Because that's when the first initial um, article was published. Okay, let's let's jump out of immersive me- reader mode. Um, 2016 was uh, the first article and the Clinton article. 2016. That's what it looks like. 2016. Yeah, so that's when this article was published. Very interesting, isn't it, guys? Norway pedophile scandal... Politicians, police, reportedly among 20 arrested. This stuff is real, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you doubt it. Don't you deny it. You ain't living on denial, okay? All right. It says here, uh, editor's note. Ties have been found to the Belgian Netherlands PESN. Wiki pedophile groups tied to Scalia Hubertus Bilderberger group whose data networks were managed by Sterling Allen from Rents Radio Host, former Rents Radio Host. I'm just going to copy and paste this information in my notes because it might be something worth returning to at a point in time. Because honestly, guys, I ain't ever heard about a lot of this. That they're, this, is, this is an international outlet news agency. Do they have any reason to lie? is kind of what I'm wondering right now. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us tonight, guys. We're going to dig into this stuff, and uh, Mr. C in the Dark is going to see things in the light as much as we can. It goes on to say, at least 20 people have been arrested in Norway. Oh, wait, let me expand this for you guys. At least 20 people have been arrested in Norway on pedophile charges, officials say, adding that the suspect included lawyers economists, and even a primary school teacher. This is all stuff that we don't hear about, guys. Reports claim the case also involves politicians and a police officer. 31 people are also currently under investigation, Deputy Police Chief Gunnar Floystan said. It is not one case, but several serious cases that we have been investigating for a long time. 
We can talk of several networks, he said, as cited by Aftonbladet newspaper. According to Floyd Stand, many suspects are highly educated and have good IT skills. Verdon's gang tabloid reported that among those under investigation was a police officer. Police raided his house but did not arrest him, the tabloid added. Floystead declined to comment on the matter. The list of those investigated on pedophile charges include two former or current politicians, Titans Crave newspaper reported. Oh, you know I'm going to pop that link open, baby. Okay. And there are their sources. Now it says, uh, why did the New York Times delete a story about Norwegian pedophile network? New York Times? Would you care to answer this question? Why did you delete a story about this Norwegian pedophile network? In late November, Norwegian police made a public, made public a pedophile ring in which they arrested 20 men, including a police officer. Officials stated that the Norwegian pedophile ring included at least 51 people, including politicians and businessmen. The New York Times had published a blurb about the arrest via the Associated Press. However, the story has since been removed for unknown reasons. The questions that savvy internet denizens are asking is, why? Why, New York Times, did you remove a brief yet factual story about a pedophile network in Norway. Skeptics of mainstream media believe the answer may lie in the Times CEO and president since 2012, Mark Thompson. Thompson, who is currently embroiled in a discrimination lawsuit brought about by two employees of the New York Times, was director general of the BBC from 2004 until 2012. In 2011, after British television personality Jimmy Saville died at the age of 84, all these fuckers seemed to die in their 80s and 90s, having survived on the blood and the adrenaline of children. So let's get this straight, guys. I need to, I need to take these notes down. Mark Thompson, who was the current New York Times between 2012 and 2004, worked for the BBC with Jimmy Seville. So I'm going to take these notes down because guess what? Maybe I can reference this at a later point in time. But uh, I don't want to forget Mark Thompson's name. Have we even heard about Mark Thompson lately? Who the hell is this man? Okay, you guys know who Jimmy Seville is. We don't need to talk about that creep. Okay. In 2011, after British television personality Jimmy Seville died at the age of 84, two journalists for the BBC program Newsnight began investigating against Seville going back decades. The journalists completed the report, which was set to air in December of 2011, two months after Seville's death. According to The Telegraph, however, the program was scrapped, and instead two tribute programs were shown instead. At the time... Thompson's involvement in killing the story was minimal, with the most with most of the blame put on Helen Bowden, the BBC's news chief. Since the story about the Norwegian pedophile network being scrubbed from the New York Times site, however, new questions have arisen about Thompson's role in removing it and in killing the 2011 Seville report. In October 2012, 
Thompson denied having any role in burying or having deep knowledge about the Seville report and claimed to have only learned about the story at a company holiday party in December, according to an interview in the New York Times. Turkish news Daily Sabah published a story on the Norwegian pedophile ring discussing Deputy Police Chief Gunnar Floydstad's statement on the investigation known as Dark Room. Floydstad revealed that the perpetrators were highly educated with lawyers, teachers, and politicians who used encryption to skirt the law. What a story, ladies and gentlemen. What a story. And this dates back to 2016. Okay? The shit is real. For those of you who are joining this program for the first time, I say program, broadcast. This is something else entirely. I was not even expecting to read this tonight, guys, because that's not what I prepped for. But damn, am I glad I went live tonight and not because this brings me any kind of joy. I'm not the kind of person that takes and relishes in delivering unknown news or brand new news. Fuck that bullshit. Okay, that's not me. I just want to get the news out. That's all I care about. I don't care what order it comes in as long as it gets out. Okay, now uh, let's let's tackle a couple of more. We're going to do two more. We're going to do two more stories and then we're going to get into tonight's main topic du jour. So let's see what this one has to say. This is another recent one. This one is from Texas. This is uh, Brazos Valley Task Force is created to combat child sex trafficking. So this story and the next story are going to highlight the efforts that uh, the men and women who are honorable in the law enforcement agency are actually taking to combat sex trafficking of children and human trafficking in general. Let's see what it says here. It says local Brazos County agent. Oh, sorry. Let me expand that. Local Brazos County agencies will come together Monday in partnership with the governor's office child sex trafficking team to commemorate the formation of the Brazos County Commercial uh, Commercial Sexual Exploitation of Youth Care Coordinate, Coordination Group that will respond to the commercial sexual exploitation of children within the community. The latter group consists of representatives from the Brazos County District Attorney's Office, Scotty's House Child Advocacy Center, Unbound Bryan College Station, Child Protective Services, the Department of Public Safety, Brazos County Juvenile Services, the Brazos County Sheriff's Office, College Station, Bryan and Texas A&M University Police Departments, and Baylor Scott and White Hospital. Now, being from Texas, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you right here And also in general, there are a couple of these agencies that I would question, okay, such as Child Protective Services, such as the Department of Public Safety, such as Brazos County Juvenile Services, such as Brazos County Sheriff's Office, and most definitely Baylor White Scott Hospitals. Now... We all know that a lot of these types of organizations start for the right reasons, but they attract demons, ladies and gentlemen, that prey on children and prey on their own sick uh, desires. But, uh, well, I mean, we'll, we, I, I can't comment on how this will go. I'm just making a general statement. It says, 
The task force agreed upon a set of protocols and guidelines to provide a rapid response in the event one of the individuals comes across children or, in some cases, those 22 and under if survivors of human trafficking, Brazos County District Attorney Jarvis Parsons said. Guiding principles for the task force consist of raising awareness to identify and prevent sexual exploitation of youth, providing services based on best practices and evidence and meeting survivors with compassion every step of the way, though the restoration process and a trauma-informed response, Parsons said, in terms of guidelines for our office, when we have a survivor of human trafficking, we will do what's called a rapid response meeting with our team no more than two days after the survivor's recovery so we can sit down and talk about what's the crisis response plan, what are short-term placement options, and how do we schedule an interview with this individual, Parsons said. Now, I will say for sure, ladies and gentlemen, Kind of going kind of going over what my gut and my discernment says about an article like this. We're gonna get into Les Vexner next, okay? And you know, my understanding of Les Vexner in relationship to Jeffrey Epstein and to human trafficking is present but limited. Okay. Just wait until you see all of the numerous organizations that have been set up in Les Vexner's name in Ohio. And that's kind of where my cynicism goes towards some of the programs that they're offering for victims of sex trafficking and even in trying to stop sexual trafficking of children or, or adults, period. And that is because quite often and most of the times, as pragmatic and as through experience goes, the people who are fighting to stop it are actually a part of it. Am I saying that the people in Brazos County, Texas are doing that? No. But I'm just speaking from my gut, is all I'm trying to say. Now, what I can tell you is that the next story I'm going to share with you guys is pretty badass. Let's talk about the way the Russians handle pedophiles and pedophiles who are uh, multiple offenders. I don't know if you guys have heard or seen this story, but let's talk about how Mother Russia and Putin handle pedophiles who are multiple offenders. Are we talking about castration? Double castration? Are we talking about death sentences? What are we talking about here? When we get to Russia and the way they deal with pedophiles. This article is from this year, guys. <laughs> okay. Check this shit out. Okay. We should only be able to handle pedophiles like this. Okay, listen. Check this out. Okay. Russia to introduce life sentences in Arctic prison camps for repeat pedophiles. Okay. They ain't going to chop their balls off. They ain't going to hang them. They're going to make them blue-balled in the Arctic for the rest of their life, working and toiling and struggling in the Arctic because they can't keep their own pants closed with children. I actually kind of really like this <laughs> punishment for these sick individuals. Russia is expected to introduce life sentences for pedophiles 
and jailed them in Arctic prison camps in response to the horrific rape and murder of a five-year-old girl whose abduction was captured on video. We're not gonna we're not gonna play the video here. I've seen it. We're not gonna play it. Parliamentary Speaker Vyacheslav Volodin said, "Those who sexually abuse children cannot be called human." Agree, one hundred percent, and vowed even tougher measures by sending all pedophiles to polar regions to serve their sentences. They're going to give them blue balls forever, guys. They're going to make sure that pecker never gets up or that vag ever opens, okay? Because women can be pedophiles also. Now it says here, the draft law to increase penalties had its first reading late last summer or late last Under the proposed rule change, Russians who have already been convicted of pedophilia and who attack children again could be sentenced to life in prison. Duma Chairman Volodin said, Those convicted for such crimes should serve life sentences in the harshest conditions, in the extreme north of Russia or in mines. These bastards should undergo the hardest labor so they remember the crimes they committed every day and they regret them. The calls to increase penalties follows the release of disturbing videos showing five-year-old Veronika Nikoloyeva struggling as two men abducted her from a public park. According to Russian media, the child was playing near the cinema and cultural complex where her mother works in Kostroma on January 4th. A roadside camera captured video of two men grabbing the child in broad daylight. The men carried the girl along a snowy road as she struggled and fought back. The men passed several bystanders who took no action to help the young victim and no calls to police were made. As the child continued to scream and fight her attackers, they carried her out of view of the cameras. Veronica's mother did not know her daughter was kidnapped, but as soon as she reported her daughter's disappearance, the police immediately launched an investigation. A large-scale search took place with the participation of many policemen and volunteers who are not going to watch the video. Police eventually identified the two suspects who were arrested and confessed to the rape and murder of the child. The Russian Investigation Committee reported, Officers detained two suspects who confessed to the murder of this child. The body of the victim was found in a room in a residential hostel. The child's body was found in a duffel bag. As the suspects named Denis Gerasimov, 44, and his gay lover, Vadim Balyokov, 24, planned to dispose of her body. She had been stabbed multiple times according to authorities. Volodin said the murder has shocked the country and has highlighted the need for tougher sentences. He also pointed out that one of the detained men turned out to be a formerly convicted pedophile. Let's do everything for the law on life sentences for pedophiles to be adopted in January. Under current Russian law, Repeat offenders who target children under 14 years of age currently face sentences of 15 years to life in prison. Under the new proposed law, that sentence would be extended to victims under 18 years old. Additionally, life sentences could be ordered for pedophiles found guilty of raping or sexually assaulting two or more children. 
Velodin commented, A life sentence is a just measure to isolate the degenerates. They cannot be called humans, although they are in human form. We hope that this measure will protect children, families, and society as a whole from those who cause irreparable harm. According to TASS, a Russian news agency said the county Supreme Court had no objections to the draft legislation. Authorities in Russia have revealed that sex attacks on children and young people have risen 79% in the past eight years. The lower chamber of the Russian parliament, the state Duma, has approved, the f- uh, has approved in the first reading of the new law. What an article, ladies and gentlemen. Here, here for Russia. Here, here for fucking Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm for it. I'm for it. I say may justice be served. May their balls be frozen off in the Arctic for the rest of their life as they live every day remembering exactly why the fuck they're there. Okay? That's all I got to say about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Okay. All right, guys. Whew! That was, that was a tough one to get through, guys. I mean, I saw that video that they're talking about. It's, it's fucking heartbreaking. It is fucking heartbreaking. Um, okay, let me jump into chat before we get into Les Vexner, guys, because this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, let me see what you guys are up to over there, though. Um, let's see here. Can you imagine the pedo crap in Australia? Oh, Connie, ketchup. I have not even dug into that. It's worldwide. Africa is really bad. Yep, Sony GHC. I agree with that. We haven't dug into that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yes, I finally had to back off. I spread as much as I could and talked till I was blue in the face. But really, it messes with me. This is a deep topic, guys. This is the kind of topic that you pray over before. For the strength and the light and the protection and the full as much of that full sword and that full armor that you can get, guys, because this can mess with you. It can mess with you. I'm already like I'm already kind of like that last article had me. I don't know if you guys could tell, but that last article had me in a, in a, a moment, you know, reading about it. Um, so you, I mean, so this is not a topic for the light of heart and that doesn't mean that we're all Billy badasses here, but that we're, we're willing to confront this topic and talk about it. Okay. In real terms, I'm not just going to sit here and hypothesize and speculate and theorize and bullshit. I'm going to bring you some articles that we can go back and fall back onto the reality of this situation. Okay. That's why we're here right now tonight at Mr. C in the Dark. That's what we do at the show. We got chat, we got guests, we got news, we got headlines. We're going to bring dark to light. We're going to bring light to dark corners. That's my role here at this time. That's why I'm here. Okay, so uh, what else you guys got to say? I can totally understand that Connie Ketchup. This can, this can mess with someone to no end if they allow it to engulf them, you know. Whew, okay. And the men you cannot tell, most men, good men, cannot handle it, not the ones who are not fighting for those kids. Uh, you know, we all have our suits in life, guys, and not everyone is suited to talk about such... I'm not saying, oh, we're badasses here because we can address it, but I'm just saying someone's got to talk about it, okay? And if I can transmute pain into pleasure, I can at least share this information without 
the risk of myself being dragged down into the mire, okay? I'm just saying that I can talk about these things without being dragged into it and just blackpilling. It doesn't make me special at all, guys. Someone's got to do it, okay? All right. And I'm not saying that no one else does it, but I'm going to bring you articles, guys. I'm going to bring you news. I'm going to bring you hard facts as much as I can on this stuff. Um, blackmail stops lots of investigations. That's very true, Sony JHC. Let's keep on investigating. I, I mean, no, I'm not going to go into that anyways. Okay. <laughs> uh, the speaking easy says, Mr. C, it was this type of info that led me to my relationship with God in Christ. And I'm glad that you are discovering for yourself that relationship. All of us have our own personal spiritual relationship with God and or Christ. You know, I do myself and uh, it's only because it's only because I have the strength in my spirituality and my relationship to God or a higher power that I'm able to do these things and I'm able to have that perspective on life that I do and that I understand my role here is to transmute negative energies into positive and provide a pathway for people to escape that negative stronghold and trap that often becomes individuals who get into these topics or who learn and who are awake to the way this world really works. My own personal relationship with spirituality and God. And I'm glad that you are fine. You are discovering yours to speak uneasy. Um, let's see what else you guys are saying as we move along. Demons says the shepherding shepherd. Indeed. Dude, send those demons up to the Russian Arctic and let them work their balls off and fucking freeze their fingers off for the rest of their damn fucking lives, as far as I'm concerned. We're in the dark. That's why I'm cussing so much. Sorry, guys. I know you guys probably aren't used to it. There was a woman in the CPS trying to get this out. They murdered her and her husband, says Connie Ketchup. There was also a politician who was doing this, and she also got suicided. This is, this happens, guys. I've had people in my life tell me, Michael, like, why do you want to talk about this stuff? You know that they can kill you for it, right? I, I, you know, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go there. But recently someone told me, well, why are you doing this? You're risking other people's lives, Michael. And I said, no. Because everyone who's involved in this at this point understands the danger. We understand the danger about talking about any of this stuff. Not even just the pedophilia. Not even just the human trafficking. But if we were really right over the topic and I wasn't so small potatoes. I don't know why I got helicopters flying over my apartment at 3am in the morning. But I do. But I'm not saying that that's anything. I'm just saying... If we're talking about, if we are fighting for liberty and we are fighting for sovereignty and we're fighting for our God-given rights and we're fighting against the lying apparatus that is the machine, there's always going to be a risk. And we all understand that. And if we didn't, or if we denied it, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Anyways. Lethal castration in Russia with pedos. Indeed, Mr. The Speak Uneasy. Indeed. Uh, let's see here. Injections. I'm like double castration. <laughs> That's what I think. They'll be dead in three to four years. Oh, yeah. 
You cannot fix them. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It is true. Connie Ketchup, you saw that video? Oh, it's ugly. To me, it's ugly. It's not like graphic, but it's graphic because it shows you the reality of the way things happen in this world, and it's just sad. Anyhow, I love that. Sonia Jates, she, uh, Sonia Jates, she says, my convictions will not allow black pills. Oh, I love you. Hell yeah, that's right, 100%. We ain't gonna get blackpilled here. We not the black pill normies, okay? Even when the worst comes to worst, ladies and gentlemen, we are not gonna take that black pill. We are not gonna stop, we're not going to let up, we're not gonna be uh, the victims of cynicism and uh, pragmatism and pessimism, we're not. Fuck that bullshit. We don't got time to wait. We are so close to the end right now, we don't got time for that bullshit. We don't got time to be like, this is the way things have always been, or I'm in a black pill because Donald Trump is not the president and Joe Biden and his dupe is poopy died. We don't got time for that shit, guys. Like, we've already been through so much and we're so close to it. We do not have time for black pills, okay? However, we will be absolutely understanding and compassionate to those who have been black pilled or to those who are waking up or to those whose heads are exploding because of, uh, of, of cognitive dissonance. We're here for you guys. We're here for you. But we don't got time to black pill. We don't got time for cynicism. We don't got time for sarcasm. We don't got time to uh, uh, rely on the past because we're moving forward, guys. We're moving forward. We don't got time to focus on the way things have been. We're paving the way for the things that will be. So fuck the past. Fuck all that bullshit. We're here right now to pave the way forward to beat this black shroud of a crap that we've been dealt with that's why we're here that's why we're awake right now okay because we are paving the way forward we're not focusing on the way things were we're not focusing on business as usual we are here to pave the way forward okay that's why we're here all right let's move on guys let's talk about les vexner let's talk about les vexner because uh we got i got some articles to share with you guys about les vexner because uh, I know about this man. I've heard about this man. I've kind of known about this man. Uh, I had an adamant participant in the chat rooms over at Foxhole. Oh, God. Was it Whiskey Blue? Was it uh, Whiskey Blue? Or was it someone else? I feel like it was Whiskey Blue. He kept saying, Les Vexner, Les Vexner, Les Vexner. Look up Les Vexner. Explore Les Vexner. Understand Les Vexner. Child trafficking, human trafficking happens in Ohio because of Lex Vexner. What did I know about Lex Vexner? I knew that he was friends with uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Mark Epstein. I knew that he gave to Jeffrey Epstein uh, an, uh, an entire building and money and helped him set up his businesses. So uh, I knew Lex Vexner had something going on. But I had not fully explored the possibilities of Les Vexner. So we're doing that now, right? We're going to talk about Les Vexner, and then we're going to call it a wrap. But I absolutely have some articles, and I put them in chronological order so that this way I could understand and learn as I go along tonight. And uh, we'll see if you guys... If you guys know anything or have links or have videos about this man... By all means, please put them in the chat. 
so that we can all learn and grow together. Connie Ketchup says, Les Vexter needs to go where Russia wants to put them before he die. <laughs> Love it. And I probably I can agree with you on that, but let's find out, guys. Let's find out. Let's find out. Does Les Vexner does Les Vexner need to go the way of Russian pedophiles? Okay. Now, as I just stated, Les Vexner, absolutely. A friend and associate and a business compatriot of Jeffrey Epstein and Mark Epstein gave Jeffrey an apartment building, uh, you know, funded him for this, this and that, had things to do with model agencies. We've heard about Les Vexner, okay? But now we're going to dip in and dig into this man. Why is he considered the human trafficking, child sex trafficking pedophile of Ohio? Why is that floating around? Why has nothing ever come about this? Why has this settled down into some ashes that have never been revisited? I don't know. Let's find out. I've got some articles to share with you guys as we dip in and dig into Les Vexner. Okay? First one is from the Business Insider. Now, I told you guys, if we're going to dig into this shit, we're going to look at actual articles. We're not going to look at, uh, you know, ho-ho kind of like uh, speculative YouTuber people, which I'm sure they all have their good reasons for. I don't discredit any of them. But we're going to look at hard news articles as we dig into Les Vexner. Okay. This first article from the Business Insider is from 2019. What has it got to say? Headline reads... Jeffrey Epstein reportedly partnered with Victoria's Secret head, Les Vexner, to build a model town with McMansions costing as much as $4.5 million. What do you think they were doing in this McMansions if we were to uh, kind of fall back on the history that we know of Jeffrey Epstein and the Lolita Express and... Uh, 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 pedophile island and the likes do you think that maybe that they were renting out these mcmansions for other pedophiles or other people that they wanted to blackmail for whatever purposes that they were doing this for i don't know let's read the article from the business insider here's one of their mcmansions okay New York-based financier Jeffrey Epstein was arrested over the weekend on suspicion of sex trafficking minors he pleaded not guilty Jeffrey Epstein's relationship with the high-profile figures, including L. Brand's CEO and founder, Les Vexner, has come under scrutiny over the past few days. Vexner was one of Epstein's first known clients, according to a lawsuit filed in 2002 by the late artist Nelson Shanks. The two men were close personal friends. Now, uh, let me skip down to the article because that's just the highlights. Now, here it goes. The relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and Les Vexner has come under close inspection with this week after Epstein was arrested over the weekend on suspicion of sex trafficking minors. While a spokesperson for Vexner told Business Insider that the CEO of L Brands, Victoria's Secret's parent company, cut ties with Epstein years ago, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, Vexner was one of Epstein's only known clients. According to a lawsuit filed in 2002 by the late artist Nelson Shanks, the two men were 
close personal friends. It turns out that Epstein also had a hand in helping Vexner build a model town in New Albany, Ohio, through his development firm, the New Albany Company Capital. Sorry, the New Albany Company. Epstein invested a few million dollars of capital into the project and became a partner in the company, according to a 2002 article in New York Magazine. Vexner bought 10,000 acres of land in the area through the New Albany Company, and he set about designing his own mansion, where he still lives, and creating a perfectly manicured town with rows of Neo-Georgian McMansions, a golf course, and a country club with the help of the country's top architects and landscapers. The town and the house together are worth more than $45.6 million, according to a recent Bloomberg report. It's a community where if you drive around, you know what you're getting yourself into. Jim Lenner, manager of neighboring village Johnstown, told Bloomberg, Obviously, it appeals to a lot of people, but there are also people who are not interested in living there because they don't want their house to look like their neighbors, he said. The new Albany company did not return Business Insider's request for comment, but Epstein is no longer listed as a partner on the company's website. Back in 2002, New York Magazine spoke to Bob Fitrakis, a Columbus-based investigative journalist who had written extensively about Vexner, about Epstein's role in the project. Fitrakis said that before Epstein got involved, the financial preparations and groundwork for development were a total mess. Epstein cleaned everything up as well as serving Vexner in other capacities such as facilitating visits to Vexner's home of the crew from Cats and organizing a Tony Randall song and dance show put on in Columbus, he said. The new Albany company still owns around 20% of the town, and according to new Albany spokesperson, Vexner spends his Saturday mornings driving around to make sure everything is remaining true to the original vision. Bloomberg reported, houses in the area are currently selling for more or for as much as 4.5 million doll hairs. Now, knowing what you know about Vexner and Epstein... Knowing what we have been clued into about Vexner and what we know about Epstein, what do you guys think about these $4.5 million McMansions on a plot of land that Les Vexner bought? This is, this is, this is outrageous, guys. This is outrageous. This is very possible. An entire township dedicated to human trafficking. Wouldn't you think so? Wouldn't you think that that is an absolute possibility, y'all? I would think that's an absolute possibility. And it's beyond the scope of our reasoning as decent human beings with a soul. But if we understand exactly that these people do exist, it's plausible that that could be the case. Let's move on to the next article.
All right, what do we got next for you guys? This is uh, an article from 2020 from News Punch. Uh, and I feel based on the headline, News Punch, where mainstream fears to tread, you might need to use a discernment on this article. But let's see what it's got to say before we get carried away with uh, the gut feelings. It says, Epstein victim says, Les Vexner was part of elite sex ring. Okay, so this is an Epstein victim speaking forward. Let's not forget, Epstein and Maxwell had hundreds of victims. What has it got to say? Let's find out. Jeffrey Epstein's victim, Maria Farmer. Oh, Maria Farmer. I believe Maria Farmer was actually a part. She was one of the people that was called during the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, guys, because she didn't go under Jane Doe. She was part of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, guys. Okay, so we got some validation here in this article. Jeffrey Epstein victim, Maria Farmer, claims that billionaire Les Vexner is the head of a snake when it comes to Epstein's sex trafficking network in America. Farmer, who along with her younger sister, were the first to report Epstein to the FBI in 1996, made a series of bombshell allegations in an interview with journalist Whitney Webb in April. It says here, The last American vagabond has decided to release the entire phone conversation between Whitney Webb and Maria Farmer, a victim of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, who had reported both to the FBI in 1996 for child pornography, sex trafficking, and sexual assault. Farmer has been interviewed by mainstream media outlets, including the New York Times and CBS News, had reached out to Whitney because Maria felt that other outlets would not publish much of the information she had given them on the case, particularly information related to Ohio billionaire Leslie Vexner, who had close ties to Jeffrey Epstein and his sex trafficking blackmail operation. The phone call will be released in two parts. The first part can be heard below. The decision to release this phone call was twofold. First, to show that claims Whitney has made in recent years, in recent interviews, were indeed accurately based on statements Maria made during the phone call, and to provide greater context to those statements. And second, to make the information publicly available and more easily disseminated to the widest audience possible. During the call, Maria covers a lot of ground and the call was never intended to be released as an interview as Whitney gave Maria free range to discuss situations and topics without prompting from Whitney. In the first half of the call, Maria discusses her horrific experience at Vexner's guest house, witnessing preparations for Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein to receive then-President Clinton on more than one occasion in 1995 and how Ivana Trump... President Trump's ex-wife, frequently accompanied Ghislaine Maxwell when she went to recruit preteen girls for Epstein, among other claims that can and have been corroborated by existing evidence and other interviews Whitney Webb has conducted 
in relationship to the Epstein case. In addition, Maria provided Whitney with a copy of her driver's license with Vexner's address, which she discusses in the phone call, and this will also be released in the coming days. One notable comment that Maria makes in regarding the man whom she calls the Holy Grail of the Epstein case, Epstein and Maxwell's longtime chef, Andy Stewart. Maria refers to him as Chef Andy in the phone call. Andy Stewart died suddenly on April 7th as Maria's lawyers were seeking to subpoena him for information on the case and Maria and her lawyers were unaware of his untimely death until after her phone call with Whitney. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the C report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the C Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm/the C Report. And thanks y'all. So let's jump back into it guys cuz it's already 4:30 in the morning. And I'm not complaining. I'm I'm actually really enjoying myself with y'all tonight. So thank you for being here. I just, I feel so, I'm very humbled by y'all's presence. Okay, so this is from the Tennessee Star. This is 2020. Headline says, Attorney defending Ohio Governor Mark Devine called to testify in Epstein's accuser case. Attorney defending Ohio Governor Mark DeWine called to testify in Epstein accuser case. What's this about? What is this about? Okay. There's the governor. Back in 2019 or 20. What did we say? 2019? The article says, Jeff Zeiger is a partner at Zeiger, Tigis, and Little LLP. The law firm, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost's office hired to defend the state of Ohio in litigation, popping up around the state as a consequence of Ohio's COVID orders, mandates, and policies. Lawsuits naming as defendants Governor Michael Devine, Ohio Department of Health Interim Director Lance Himes, former Director of Health Amy Acton, and certain health districts. John Zeiger is also Leslie Vexner's family lawyer. Leslie Vexner is a billionaire business titan, founder and chairman emeritus of L Brands, the parent company of, among other notable brands, Victoria's Secret. There's a copy of the subpoena. Oh, sorry, guys. (laughs) There's a copy of the subpoena. Oh, look. You guys might not be able to see it. Alan Dershowitz is the defendant. Oh, oh, wait, guys. This is very relative. Oh, this is so relative right now, guys. Hold on. Was this 2020? Is this a 2020 article? 
August 12, 2020. Okay, August 12, 2020. Now, if you guys have been uh, following the C report, you guys know that we reported that Alan Dershowitz has deposed Leslie Vexner in his case against Virginia Roberts Jufri, who is suing him for defamation. Okay, so this article in 2020 of August gives us a look at the actual court documents. You guys can see Virginia Virginia Jufri and Alan Dershowitz. This is that. This is exactly that case. It's going. It's going to trial. It has not been scheduled yet. But this is this is actually very relevant to right now. Okay, so Alan Dershowitz has has deposed Leslie Vexner in his case against Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. To what end that's going to help Alan Dershowitz? I don't know, but it is quite interesting to note that they have a copy of the court transcript here. Okay, all right. So let's move on. It says here on Monday, August tenth. Vexner and Zeiger were subpoenaed by a United States District Court judge, Loretta Preska. Now, Loretta Preska is the one who said that they had to release all of that information from Ghislaine Maxwell's previous Virginia Roberts Jufree deposition. Okay? She's the one that was doing that. That's Loretta. Oh, this is so relevant. My goodness. I didn't realize we were going to get this relevant tonight. Okay. Okay. So subpoenaed by United States District Court Judge Loretta Preska in the legal battle between Virginia Roberts, Jufree, and Alan Dershowitz. Victoria Roberts, Jufree, is an outspoken accuser. Why does it say Victoria? Her name is Virginia. Okay. Anyways, Virginia Roberts, Jufree, is an outspoken accuser of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey claims Epstein trafficked her to Prince Andrew, Duke of York, when she was 17, as well as Alan Dershowitz when she was 16. Alan Dershowitz, professor emeritus at Harvard Law School, is a renowned defense attorney who defended multimillionaire financier Jeffrey Epstein in his 2006 sex trafficking lawsuit, who now finds himself the accused Jeffrey Jufri says Dershowitz procured sex with her through Epstein's sex ring. Dershowitz countersued Jufri, claiming her accusations constitute defamation of character. Dershowitz's legal team filed the subpoena in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. Of course, they always go through the Southern District of New York, right? On June 8, 2020, to compel Leslie Wexner and his family attorney, John Zeiger, to submit documents and sit for depositions. Vexner and Zeiger are targets of subpoenas because, according to the Daily Beast, while Jufree has alleged that Epstein, a convicted sex offender, trafficked her to other men, including Dershowitz and Prince Andrew, the lawyer has denied the claims, hitting back, Dershowitz accused Jufree of hatching a plan to falsely accuse him of sex trafficking in order to extort a settlement from another party, namely Vexner. Okay, so Dershowitz has accused Jufree of hashing, hatching a plan to falsely accuse him of sex trafficking in order to extort a settlement from Vexner. 
Vexner had close ties with Jeffrey Epstein for decades, beginning his relationship with Epstein in the 1980s. Epstein owned a home adjacent to the Vexner family property, had significant control over Vexner's fortune, philanthropies, and even his personal affairs. Judge Preska wrote, the court has reviewed letters submitted under seal by defendant De Alan Jersowitz, plaintiff Virginia Jufri, and non-parties Leslie Vexner and John Zeiger concerning Mr. Jersowitz's request for a pre-motion conference on a motion to compel Mr. Vexner and Mr. Zeiger. One, to, to disclose certain materials requested in various rules, 45 subpoenas, and two, to provide deposition testimony. Preska continued, first, the court sees no reason for that correspondence to remain under seal. The party shall file their respective letters on the public docket as soon as is practicable. practicable. Judge Preska requested the attorney confer with their clients and report to the court no later than August 13th. In 2019, Vexner wrote to the Vexner Foundation community below, I am embarrassed that, like so many others, I was deceived by Mr. Epstein. Vexner later said Epstein misappropriated $46 million from his family. I condemn his abhorrent behavior in the strongest possible terms. The Ohio Star reached out to the governor's office and inquired about the decision to seek special counsel in the civil case in the Franklin County, Ohio Court of Common Pleas. Pins Mechanical Company, LLC et al. versus Governor Michael DeWine et al. Governor DeWine's press secretary, Dan Tierney, indicated outside counsel decisions are made by the attorney general's office and deferred comment on the questions to that office. The Ohio Star contacted the Ohio Attorney General's Office to determine what factors drive selecting special counsel, criteria considered when selecting special counsel, the budget for the above-mentioned case, Pins Mechanical versus Governor Michael DeWine, and the total budget allocation for the state's defense of COVID lawsuits. Dave O'Neill, Senior Public Information Officer at the Ohio Attorney General's Office, wrote, we, par we appoint special counsel as needed by state clients. They are hired as a matter of capacity and because of expertise. After consultation with the governor's office, Zeiger was hired because of its proven track record and proximity to the major majority of the cases. They have a budget of $98,000 for the referenced case. The total budget for all firms that may represent the state in matters involving COVID-related litigation is 864000 Now, somehow in all of that, ladies and gentlemen, I don't even know how COVID is a thing when they're talking about Leslie Vexner, Alan Dershowitz, and Virginia roberts Jeffrey, and Jeffrey Epstein. Somehow the Tennessee star concluded on COVID-19 go figure. I was not expecting to have such a relevant article because I'm cold reading right now, guys, we're digging into Leslie Vexner. Very, very relevant. Amazing. Which means we're going to be talking about uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, Virginia Roberts, you free and Alan Dershowitz really soon. Okay. Now, uh, this next article is from the Daily Beast, okay? 
This is dated September 2021. So we get in, we are getting pretty close to current times. Now, the title of this article is Who Murdered the Lawyer? Who Murdered the Lawyer of Victoria's Secret Billionaire Les Vexner? Could this be the lawyer that we just talked about? Or is it a different lawyer? I don't know. Let's find out. The plot thickens around this uh, sad sack of human trash for a human being. You know, guys, I don't like to judge, but uh, may justice be served. Okay. It says here, who murdered the lawyer of Victoria's Secret billionaire Les Vexner? Someone put a bullet in Arthur Shapiro's head as he fled from a red BMW during a secret breakfast meeting. Almost 40 years later, the mafia-style slaying has never been solved. Okay, so this is a case from 40 years ago. Okay, all right. I guess it's not relevant to everything, but perhaps it can help set up a pattern of behavior and uh, activity around Les Vexner and his uh, syndicate. I don't know. Let's find out. I haven't read this article. We cold read here right now. Look at that man. Ugh. Okay. Arthur Shapiro was in trouble. The shy, secretive lawyer, a partner in the Columbus, Ohio firm of Schwartz, Shapiro, Kelm, and Warren, was under investigation by the Internal Revenue Service for failing to file income tax returns for seven years and for possible investments in shady tax shelters. In March 1985, Shapiro was due to testify before a grand jury over his tax dodging and whether anyone had helped him hide his money. What he might reveal, no one knew, but he and his firm had several high-profile clients and a long history in Columbus. But Arthur Shapiro never made it to the stand. A day before his scheduled testimony, someone fired two bullets point-blank into his head as he fled from a secretive breakfast meeting held in his red BMW at Columbus Cemetery. The mob-style murder has never been solved. That's it. Okay, that's it. We're not going to read this article, Trump fixated on fucking weird Senate candidate and his sex life. Oh no, ladies and gentlemen, we're not... I guess that's it. This was clickbait. My bad, guys. I didn't mean to bring you clickbait on this Saturday morning at 4.44 a.m. But uh, apparently, this is an unsolved case. All right, let's see what this has to say. This is from uh, 2021, Vanity Fair. In fact, this is the only free article I get from Vanity Fair. The mogul and the monster inside Jeffrey Epstein's decades-long relationship with his biggest client. This could be fun, y'all. This could be fun. Let's see what Vanity Fair has to say. Look at there's Jeffrey Epstein. There's two gay boys, and I don't know who these guys are, but here's Leslie Vexner. Is that Harvey Weinstein? I don't know, but here's two gay boys. Anyways, okay. In the fall of 1982, a money manager named Harold Levin got a phone call that would change his life. A lawyer representing Leslie H. Vexner the founder and CEO of the women's apparel retailer, The Limited, said Vexner was looking for a financial advisor. Would Levin be interested? 
Levin most certainly was. In Columbus, Ohio, where Levin lived, Vexner was a legend. Vexner grew the limited from a single Columbus store into a global retail empire that mall fixtures Abercrombie and Fitch, Victoria's Secret, and Bath and Body Works. Levin landed the job after six months of grueling interviews. He wasn't making masters of the universe money. Vexner paid a salary of $250,000 a year, but it was enough for Levin to move his family into a 6,000-square-foot house across the street from Vexner in Vexley, Columbus's most exclusive suburb. By 1986, Vexner ranked sixth on the Forbes 400 list of richest Americans, with a net worth estimated at $1.4 billion. In New York, I had bankers constantly taking me out to dinner, Levin told me. Once the manager of the Regency Hotel arranged a private tour of Le Bernardine, the kitchen was so clean you could eat off the floor, Levin remembered. Vexner entrusted Levin with increasingly ambitious projects. Starting in the mid-1980s, Levin purchased thousands of acres of farmland in New Albany, population 414, on the outskirts of Columbus, where Vexner planned to build his very own town modeled on an 18th century Georgian village. We already talked about that, guys. Les sent me to Richmond, Virginia, to look at architecture he wanted to copy, Levin said. On one of Levin's trips to New York in 1989, Vexner asked him to meet a brilliant young financier who wanted to pitch an investment opportunity. Levin had never heard of the man, Jeffrey Epstein, which was odd. After working for Vexner for seven years, Levin knew virtually every player on Wall Street. A few months earlier, Levin says, he met with uh, Arbitragor Ivan Boeski. Levin's skepticism was confirmed as soon as he arrived at Epstein's Madison Avenue office. There were no visible signs of a trading operation, just Epstein sitting behind a desk that did not even have a computer. Epstein was trying to explain a currency trade he wanted to do. I have an MBA from Ohio State and I didn't understand a word the man said, Levin recalled. Levin went back to Columbus and reported that Epstein was a fraud. I told Les. Stay away from him, Levine remembered. Vexner agreed not to do the trade. There's Epstein and Ghislaine. Levin was shocked when Epstein showed up in Columbus a few months later and announced Vexner had put him in charge of his finances. Levin tried to protest, but says Vexner couldn't and wouldn't take his calls. Levin couldn't understand having Epstein as a boss. He was an asshole, the most arrogant person I ever met, Levin recalled. A few months later, Levin quit. Levin said Epstein taunted him on his way out. On my last day, Epstein walked into my office and held up a piece of paper. He bragged that Les had given him power of attorney over his money. I worked for Les for seven years, and I never had general power of attorney, Levin said. Epstein, Levin continued, 
even ordered him to surrender equity in Vexner's town project, likely costing Levin millions. Epstein basically said, if you want, you can fight it out, but I have a lot of lawyers and I'll make sure it'll cost you a fortune. Levin's life unraveled. He couldn't find a job. Friends told him Epstein was spreading rumors around Columbus and on Wall Street that Vexner had fired him from misappropriating funds. His wife filed for divorce, Levin said, and their three children stopped speaking to him. I had a nervous breakdown. I was living out of my car for a while, Levin said. He applied for jobs using computers at the library and showered at state parks. Epstein ruined my life. I lost everything, Levin said. Two years after guards discovered Epstein unconscious in his Manhattan prison cell, the pedophile's life and mysterious death remain a subject of fevered speculation and conspiracy theorizing. Was Epstein an intelligence agent, a debased financial genius, a sociopathic con man who fleeced billionaires and politicians with sexual blackmail? In a search for answers, I spent the past six months investigating the Epstein mystery that could unlock others. How did he get his money? For it was Epstein's half-billion-dollar fortune that enabled him to sexually abuse and traffic hundreds of girls on multiple continents with the aids of Ghislaine Maxwell. There's no question that Epstein could not have done what he did without the support of people that provided him money, said attorney David Boyes, whose firm represents numerous Epstein accusers including Virginia Roberts Jeffrey, Epstein burnished his own myth, telling people preposterously that he only accepted clients with assets of $1 billion or more. But until recently, Epstein's only publicly named client was Vexner. When I asked Jeffrey who else he worked with, he said, I can't talk about it. An Epstein friend recalled, Vexner paid Epstein's predecessor about $600,000 a year in today's dollars. Epstein, a former high school math teacher from Coney Island, Brooklyn, hired by the B2 bomber, Billiam Barr's big booby father himself, was worth a reported $559 million. His estate included a 51,000 square foot Manhattan townhouse bought from Vexner, a private jet formerly owned by The Limited, and a helicopter a Caribbean island, a Paris apartment, a Palm Beach mansion, and 10,000-acre New Mexico ranch. Epstein's brother's real estate company also had majority ownership of a Manhattan condo building on East 66th Street where Epstein allegedly housed girls. The building was formerly owned by Leslie Vexner. Prosecutors say that Epstein built his vast sex trafficking ring throughout the 1990s and early aughts. In other words, Epstein became Epstein during his long association with Vexner. When Epstein pleaded guilty to two counts, including soliciting a minor for prostitution, which is not possible because a minor cannot be a prostitute because they do not have any say or delegation in sexual, they are victims, so they cannot be a prostitute in Palm Beach in June 2008 and registered as a level three sex offender in New York, Vexner refused to, to discuss him. In 2019, a Vexner spokesman told the Washington Post that the Vexners had severed all ties with Epstein in 2007. 
They condemned Epstein's actions, a spokesman said. It was only after Epstein died that Vexner described the relationship, and even then in an opaque term. In Vexner's telling, he was another Epstein victim preyed upon by a devious mastermind, being taken advantage of by someone who was so sick, so cunning, so depraved, is something that I'm embarrassed that I was even close to, Vexner said during a speech in September 2019. In a letter to his charitable foundation around this time, Vexner claimed Epstein had misappropriated vast sums of money from me and my family. Epstein had reportedly transferred back nearly $47 million to a Vexner-controlled charity fund in 2008, but Vexner's belated attempts to explain himself only raised more questions. Why, for instance, did Vexner not report Epstein's alleged $47 million theft to the FBI? Or how could Vexner claim to be blindsided by Epstein's duplicitousness? I told Les I wouldn't trust Epstein to cross the street. Why are you trusting him with your money? Recalled Jerry Merritt, a former Ohio State Highway Patrolman who served as the Limited's security chief for more than 25 years. In reporting this article, I spoke to more than 30 people who had firsthand encounters with Epstein or Vexner. Vexner, who announced he was stepping down from the board of his company in March, declined numerous interview requests. The story that emerged is a deeply strange one. Sources say Epstein occupied different roles in Vexner's life depending on the audience. Jeffrey compartmentalized. He told you what you wanted to hear, Epstein's former lawyer Alan Dershowitz told me. Epstein sometimes portrayed himself as a surrogate son to a lonely billionaire. He told some people he was Vexner's fixer, Dershowitz said, that when he became Epstein's criminal lawyer in 2007, Epstein boasted that Vexner would not testify against him. Whatever the nature of their relationship, Epstein's long-standing connection to one of America's richest men inarguably aided his public profile, adding to his air of legitimacy and thus his power. Vexner met Epstein sometime around 1986. They were introduced by Vexner's close friend, the insurance mogul Robert Meister, whose firm handled insurance for the Limited. I spoke with Meister in April, and he opened up for the first time about the origins of Vexner and Epstein's relationship. It was history that Meister, 79, found difficult to revisit. I walked away from Epstein a long time ago, and I've been trying to erase him from my mind ever since, said Meister. Epstein struck up a conversation with Meister on a common commercial flight to Palm Beach. Meister remembered being impressed with the young banker. In reality, Epstein lived in a one-bedroom apartment and ran a fledgling investment firm. Epstein had been forced to leave Bear Stearns in 1981. He told Securities and Exchange Commission investigations he had been penalized after letting a friend borrow money to buy stock, that there were irregularities with his expense account, and that there were rumors at the firm about his relationship with the secretary. He was a great bullshit artist, Meister said. People who knew Epstein remarked at his savant-like skill at impressing powerful old men. 
Jeffrey was a flatterer, said interior designer Robert Cotierier, who met Epstein in the 1980s. Jeffrey would call me every day and say, oh, you're so brilliant, you're the best. Epstein's friend Stuart Pivar, a founder of the New York Academy of Art, said Epstein's magnetism was almost impossible to resist. If you had hundreds of millions of dollars and you knew Jeffrey, there's a high likelihood that you'd give it to him. He was that good of a con man. In hindsight, Meister suspects Epstein's aggressively cultivated him in the hope that Meister would open doors to his billionaire friends like Vexner. Not long after Epstein met Meister, Epstein invited Meister to play racquetball and started turning up in the steam room at his gym while he was using it. I'd be having a steam and Epstein would come in, Meister said. During one conversation, Epstein asked Meister to introduce him to Vexner. Epstein falsely said he had learned that Vexner's money manager was stealing from him. Epstein, a self-described financial bounty hunter, offered to help recover the funds. It was convincing enough that Meister arranged a meeting for Epstein and Vexner's house in Aspen. Epstein was such a liar, Meister said. In Vexner's 2019 letter to his foundation, he wrote that he hired Epstein because friends recommended him as a knowledgeable financial professional. Soon after introducing Vexner and Epstein, Meister started hearing disturbing stories about Epstein's sexual proclivities. Think of whatever the worst thing anyone could do is, and Epstein did them all, Meister said. The breaking point came when Epstein showed up unannounced at Meister's Park Avenue apartment with five models for Meister's sexual entertainment. Epstein thought he was bringing me a gift, Meister recalled. I told him, get the fuck out, and I never want to see you again. Meister, whose estimation of Epstein had done a total 180, gave his friend a general warning about his character. Meister says he and his wife, Wendy, warned Vexner to stay away from Epstein. He begged him, don't get involved, Meister recalled. It was too late. Vexner had hired Epstein as his financial advisor. He thought Epstein was brilliant, Meister said. Epstein claimed he could discern hidden patterns in financial markets, but his true money-making gift was reading people. He surely recognized Vexner was deeply lonely. Business was less his life, said Vexner's childhood friend Peter Halliday, whose Ohio bank prepared the Limited's first stock offering. Vexner was born in Dayton, Ohio in 1937 to Russian Jewish parents who worked in the garment business. When Vexner entered high school, his family moved from Dayton to Columbus, where his father Harry opened a small women's apparel store called Leslie's. It was tough moving into a new community. Les did not make it a mark for himself, Halliday said. Vexner hoped to become an architect like Howard Rourke, the libertarian protagonist of Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Harry insisted he study business at Ohio State. Les briefly enrolled in law school but dropped out to work for the family business. As the story goes... Les wanted Harry to carry a limited inventory focused on casual clothes, and when Harry disagreed, Les quit. In 1963, Les opened the Limited, 
with a $5,000 loan from his Aunt Ida. Oh, Aunt Ida. I built a business so I could create my own world, Les later told the New York Times. Within a year, Harry closed Leslie's and was working for Les. Vexner may have been CEO, but it seemed that his mother, Bella, was the boss. For 34 years, she served as the limited's corporate secretary. A former executive recalled that Bella belittled her son in a meeting when she did not like his ideas. It'll never work. Don't do it. Bella yelled at the staff in front of, uh, yelled at Leslie in front of his staff. I remember sitting there thinking, how dare this woman? The executive said, Les seemed to be terrified of Bella. According to Meister, Les would sometimes stay at Meister's house in Palm Beach so that Bella, who, whose Palm Beach house was near Les's, would not know Les was in town. He was afraid of her. She was running his life, Meister said. By 1976, the Limited operated 100 stores. Two years later, Vexner's risked bankrupting the company when he borrowed $30 million to acquire the logistics company Mast Industries, which operated a dozen factories in Asia and contracted with hundreds of others around the world. The gamble proved to be Vexner's genius move akin to McDonald's revolutionizing fast food. By controlling production and shipping, Vexner globalized the apparel business. Vexner's core insight was that baby boomers viewed shopping as a form of entertainment the Limited's supply chain allowed Vexner to rapidly control. Uh, the Limited supply chain allowed Vexner rapidly to rapidly roll out new clothing lines at lower cost and keep customers coming back. As shopping malls spread across the country, the Limited boomed. Vexner went on an acquisition spree in the 1980s. He took over the Lane Bryant and Lerner chains, the department store, Henry ben Bendel, Henri Bendel, and a struggling Palo Alto lingerie store called Victoria's Secret. At the time he met Epstein, the Limited had an annual revenue of $3 billion. Despite the success, Vexner remained little known outside Ohio. Meister recalled a party in Aspen when Donald Trump walked up to Vexner and said, Nice to meet ya. Now, how did you get so fucking rich? Vexner and Epstein soon became virtually inseparable. They were an odd pair. Vexner was in his late 40s with a round face and big ears. Epstein was in his early 30s and dashing. From the right angle, he looked like Richard Gere. Les knows everything about me. He knows every experience I've had, Epstein once told a friend. Vexner's public image continued to grow after hiring Epstein. A 1989 Boston Globe profile that detailed Vexner's rise reported that his September 1 diary entry that year read, I finally like myself. In a film deposition featured in the Netflix documentary Filthy Rich, Brad Edwards, a lawyer for some of Epstein's victims, asked ex Epstein if he had a sexual relationship with Vexner. Epstein denied it. Merritt limited security chief was unnerved by the sudden friendship merritt recalled a weekend in the late 1980s when vexner invited epstein to school shoot at targets on land vexner owned in rural ohio les had started collecting guns but les did not know which end of a gun worked merritt said merritt recruited a world-class trap shooter named jim forschbach 
to teach Vexner to shoot, but Merritt said Vexner relied on Epstein. Epstein had this Magnum PI gun. He didn't know what he was doing. It looked like he'd never taken it out of the holster, Merritt recalled. Epstein was a social connector who populated Vexner's introverted life with glittery people. Novelist Christina Oxenberg remembered being invited by Epstein to a dinner party at Vexner's Upper East Side townhouse not long after Epstein took over Vexner's finances. Les seemed like this rumpled, sweaty schlub. He was so ill at ease, and there was Jeffrey facilitating the conversation, Oxenberg told me. Dershowitz said the first time he met Epstein at the Martha's Vineyard home of Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, Epstein invited him to be a guest of honor at Vexner's upcoming birthday party. Jeffrey said something like, For a present, my friend Leslie Vexner wants me to invite the most important man I met this year, Dershowitz recalled. The flattery worked. Dershowitz attended. Other guests included astronaut John Glenn and former Israeli Prime Minister Shimon Peres. Vexner's physical appearance changed. A former Victoria's Secret executive recalled Vexner dyed his hair. He hired a live-in personal trainer and adopted a new wardrobe. Les would wear the tightest jeans you saw. I don't know how he did not cut off blood supply to his private parts, the former executive said. Vexner's colleagues refer to this look as chairman's casual. According to sources, Epstein took an interest in Vexner's romantic life. In 1985, New York Magazine put Vexner on the cover with the headline, The Bachelor Billionaire. Vexner dated, but the relationships did not tend to last. Around the time Vexner met Epstein, Vexner broke up with Columbus, a Columbus woman. According to sources, Epstein showed up at her house with a multi-million dollar check and told her to stay away from Vexner. The woman declined requests for comment. The friendship vexed Vexner's mother, Bella. Sources said she wanted Les to settle down and get married. Bella hated Epstein. She was so blunt, Merritt said. Around 1990, Wendy Meister introduced Vexner to a corporate lawyer in her late 20s named Ab Abigail Koppel, who worked in the London office of Davis Polk, the Limited's outside law firm. Abigail was so secretive about it, a friend from London recalled. She said, don't tell anyone. I don't want to jinx it. But Epstein stayed very much in the picture. He reportedly arranged Vexner and Koppel's prenuptial agreement and was one of the 50 attendees at their January 1993 wedding ceremony. Vexner even gave Epstein Bella's seat on the board of the Vexner Foundation. Epstein soon began traveling to Ohio with Ghislaine Maxwell, the one-off or the on-off girlfriend who had helped burnish his society connections in Manhattan. She was with Jeffrey everywhere, Merritt said. To some, it seemed like the age-appropriate Maxwell was a public front for Epstein's crimes involving underage girls. It's a useful beard situation, said Oxenberg, Maxwell's former friend. Epstein and Maxwell were also social with the Vexners outside of Ohio. When the Vexners traveled to Europe, Epstein and Maxwell joined them on shopping trips. By this time... Uh, or by this point, Epstein was representing himself as something of a problem solver for Vexner. One time, Epstein called Dershowitz and asked if the lawyer knew someone in the Clinton administration.
Epstein claimed Vexner was in a panic because customs agents at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey seized thousands of dollars of Cuban cigars and $50,000 in cash from his private jet. Dershowitz said he did not know anyone who could help. A person close to Vexner's family with knowledge of the allegation emphatically denied that any such event occurred. Vanity Fair has not found no mention of the alleged incident in court or law enforcement records. During the 1990s, both Epstein's and Vexner's profiles grew on the world stage. In 1991, Vexner co-founded a philanthropic organization of Jewish billionaires known as the Mega Group, which uses some of its vast resources to shape Middle East policy. In 2003, Vexner's foundation commissioned GOP messaging guru Frank Luntz to advise American Jewish leaders on how to rally support for Israel. For a year, a solid year, you should be invoking the name of Saddam Hussein and how Israel, always behind American efforts to rid the world of this ruthless dictator and liberate their people, Luntz's recommendation stated. Epstein kept close in that circle of influence. UN Ambassador Bill Richardson and Middle East envoy George Mitchell allegedly participated in Epstein's sex ring, according to a lawsuit filed by Jufree. Richardson and Mitchell admittedly denied the allegations. Israeli Epstein confidant, oh wait, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak was an Epstein confidant. Epstein invested $1 million in one of Barak's business ventures. Barack reportedly visited the East 66th Street condo building. Dershowitz told me as he once arrived at Epstein's townhouse as Epstein and Barack were wrapping up lunch. On a chalkboard, Barack had drawn a map of how the West Bank should be divided. Barack could not be reached for comment. In 2019, he denied any wrongdoing related to the condo visits. During his time at Vexner's financial, as Vexner's financial guru, Epstein's holdings grew tremendously. Sometimes by acquiring properties formerly owned by Vexner, such as the townhouse on East 71st Street, one of the largest private homes in Manhattan. While it has been reported over the years that the home was transferred to him in a, a $1 transaction, and Epstein may have led people to believe that, documents showed he paid Vexner $20 million for it. In Columbus, Epstein owned a 10,000-square-foot house next to Vexner and, according to Merritt, paid a below-market price for one of the Limited's private jets. Epstein also reportedly oversaw construction of Vexner's superyacht Limitless. Merritt recalled once asking Vexner why Epstein was so compensated. Les just said, because I got more money than I can ever spend. So Merritt, said Merritt, Les gave him free reign over his checkbook. In 2019, a Wall Street Journal reported Epstein earned $200 million from Vexner. Merritt puts the numbers at $400 million. Epstein's predecessor, Harold Levin, described a possible scenario by which Epstein could have taken control of assets. We didn't put a mortgage on any of those properties. We used limited stock to buy them, so there were no liens, Levine said. In other words, because Vexner didn't owe banks any money, his properties could be controlled by Epstein, and there would be a scant public record of it. 
As Epstein's wealth grew, his predatory behavior became more brazen. He sometimes used his connections to Victoria's Secret in his schemes, a pattern at least some executive at the company were aware of. One afternoon in the spring of 1993, an executive rushed into the office of Victoria's Secret catalog president Cynthia Fettis Fields with disturbing news. A model told a hairdresser at a photo shoot that a man named Jeffrey Epstein was running around New York presenting himself as Victoria, Victoria's Secret scout. Fields knew Epstein was problematic. Fields, then in her 40s, had met him the previous year and rejected several, several inappropriate propositions from him to go out, one of which included a weekend date at Vexner's house in Aspen. Fields declined Epstein's advances. Fields told the executive to report Epstein to Vexner immediately, according to a source briefed on the conversation. Les said he would stop it, the source recalled. Merritt remembered one lunch around this time when Epstein boasted as uh, boasted he was the personal director of Victoria's Secret. In May 1997, an aspiring model named Alicia, Ar Alicia Arden told the Santa Monica police that Epstein sexually assaulted her in a hotel room after he posed as Victoria's Secret scout. According to the harrowing story of accuser Maria Farmer, Epstein even bought the abuse, brought the abuse to Vexner's doorstep in Ohio. In the spring of 1996, Farmer was miserable working as Epstein's personal assistant in New York when she received a dream assignment. Film producers wanted the 25-year-old to create paintings that would be featured in the Jack Nicholson movie As Good As It Gets. Epstein begged Farmer not to quit and made an incredible offer. His client, Les Vexner, wanted Farmer to spend the summer working on the paintings at Vexner's 300-acre compound in the town Vexner was building from scratch. As reported in Filthy Rich, Farmer spoke to a Vanity Fair reporter in 2003, but that magazine did not publish her accusations against Epstein. Although Farmer was broke and living in a tiny Greenwich Village apartment, her instinct was to turn it down. Epstein's relationship with Vexner seemed odd to her. Farmer recalled the first time Epstein gave her a tour of his townhouse. Jeffrey said, See all this stuff? I don't need any of it. I could live in a tent. But Les gave this to me for a dollar. Les would do anything for me. Farmer was also unsettled by strange visitors coming and going at the house. She recalled government officials making pilgrimages to meet Epstein for unexplained reasons. What frightened her most, though, were the children. Farmer said she witnessed Maxwell escorting countless high school-age girls to meet Epstein, supposedly to interview for modeling jobs. Every afternoon, Ghislaine would run out saying, I need to get the nubiles, Farmer recalled. Maxwell's attorney did not respond to her quest for comment. Nonetheless, Farmer accepted Epstein's offer, and that May, she packed her supplies into a truck and drove west to Vexner's Ohio village. But what seemed like a dream would turn into a nightmare. This account is based on my interviews with Farmer and a sworn affidavit she submitted in federal court in 2019. Early in her stay, Farmer began to feel like she was being watched at all times. Maxwell called Farmer from New York screaming at her because she accidentally spilled henna dye on a white rug. Ghislaine yelled, you're going to have to leave right now. Jeffrey later called and apologized. Farmer recalled, 
In interviews, Farmer said she needed Abigail's permission to go jogging outside because the grounds were patrolled by armed guards and dogs. In a 2019 statement, the Washington Compost, the Wexner family, said neither Les nor Abigail knew who Farmer was before her accusations were made public. And while we don't know with whom Miss Farmer may have spoken, who may have claimed to be Mrs. Wexner, it was not Mrs. Wexner, a family spokesman said at the time. Epstein and Maxwell were Farmer's only connection to the outside world. They flew in on weekends and took Farmer to see movies like Independence Day and go food shopping at Walmart. Farmer thought Epstein and Maxwell acted more like kids than adults. They would do things like pants each other while waiting in line to buy movie tickets, Farmer recalled. Over time, socializing with a couple nearly twice her age felt almost normal. Farmer invited her two elementary school age brothers to live with her at Epstein's Ohio house. Les knows everything about me. He knows every experience I've had, Epstein once told a friend. One night about two months after she arrived in Ohio, Farmer said Epstein and Maxwell invited her into their bedroom and sexually assaulted her. Farmer said she fled, locked herself in her room, and called 911. She said the sheriff's dispatcher responded, We work for Vexner. Terrified, Farmer called her father in Kentucky. He agreed to drive overnight to pick her up. A spokeswoman for the Franklin County, Ohio Sheriff's Office confirmed the Washington Compost that its officers had been contract contacted for Vexner's security detail at the time, but said it had no remaining records of such a call. Farmer said that when she returned to New York, her 16-year-old sister, Annie, whom Epstein was also helping financially, revealed that Epstein and Maxwell had touched her inappropriately at Epstein's New Mexico ranch. Farmer says she tried to file a report with the New York Police Department. Officers said they had no jurisdiction in Ohio and instructed her to talk to the FBI instead. Farmer said she did, but the FBI never followed up. In September 1997, Vexner celebrated his 60th birthday with a dinner at his Ohio estate. Meister says he used the occasion to once again tell Vexner how untrustworthy Epstein was. My wife and I told him and Abigail hundreds of times to stay away from Epstein, Meister said. In front of the guests, including former Senator Joe Lieberman and real estate developer Marshall Rose, Meister said he begged Vexner to serve sever ties with Epstein. Les wouldn't listen, Meister said. It was the last time Meister visited Wexner's house. Meanwhile, Epstein was driving a wedge between Vexner and executives at the Limited. Executives didn't understand why Vexner, a brutal boss and famous control freak, allowed Epstein such latitude. Less berated people. I once saw Les smack an executive on top of his head, a former Victoria's Secret executive said. Les could be a complete asshole, recalled another former executive. His favorite thing was to yell, you have shit for brains. But with Epstein, he took a more sympathetic stance. Les would defer to him in any meeting. Les would put his hand on Epstein's shoulder. Epstein often invoked Vexner's authority to make employees feel as if though they worked for him. Epstein would call you and wouldn't give his name. He'd just start talking and expect you to know it was who it was, a former senior executive said. 
he was becoming more and more active in the business. It was really upsetting people. In 1996, as the Limited was preparing to spin off Abercrombie & Fitch into a separate company on the New York Stock Exchange, Epstein flew to Columbus and told executives that he would decide the share price. Executives worried Epstein was committing insider trading because days earlier, someone, they assumed Epstein, had sold an unusually large chunk of limited stock. There was so much concern that one of the lawyers looked around the room and said, are we going to have to go to jail for this, recalled an executive who attended the meeting. According to the executive, Epstein got his way. Limited's vice chairman, Tom Hopkins, told Vexner that Epstein was a con man, sources said. Vexner brushed aside the complaints. Less thought he knew more than the people around him, a former executive said. Merritt said beginning in the early aughts, Epstein spent less and less time in Ohio. But publicly, Vexner still had glowing things to say about his money manager. In 2003, Vexner told a journalist that Epstein had excellent judgment and unusually high standards, adding he was always a most loyal friend. On the face of it, these two men were vastly different in temperament. Epstein was flamboyant and not private at all about his sexual appetites, even if most everyone was unaware of the age of his victims. Epstein filled his house with erotic art and displayed a copy of Nabokov's Lolita and a book by the Marquis de Sade who, uh, on his desk. Vexner was a press-shy billionaire who literally built his own fiefdom in the middle of the American Rust Belt. It's hard to ultimately define their dealings, but I am certain that the vast sums Epstein earned from Vexner were the source of his power. One of the tragic ironies of the story is that Vexner's teenage customer base was made up of the kinds of girls that Epstein preyed upon. Epstein used the money and legitimacy his work for Vexner and others afforded him to bring about unspeakable human suffering. Since Epstein's death in August 2019, Vexner's professional life has been in a tailspin. The board of L Brands Limited was re re renamed in 2013, hired Davis Polk to conduct an investigation to Vexner's relationship with Epstein. The investigation was never made public, but months later, Vexner stepped down as CEO ending his run as the longest-serving chief executive in the S&P 500. He remained chairman emeritus of the board. Vexner's problems only deepened. Shareholders sued L. Brands, alleging the Davis-Polk investigation was a whitewash. L. Brands retained the law firm Watchell Lipton to conduct a second investigation into Vexner and Epstein's dealings. The past May, Vexner stepped down from the L. Brands board, ending his last official role in the company he founded more than half a century ago. Meanwhile, Dershowitz has subpoenaed Vexner to testify, testify as part of his defamation lawsuit against Jufree, who alleged Epstein trafficked her to Dershowitz. Dershowitz denies Jufree's allegations. L. Brand shareholders are suing board members, including the Vexner in Delaware court, accusing Abigail Vexner of a acquiescence while Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell sexually assaulted Maria Farmer in the new Albany compound. The Vexners have declined to comment, citing pending litigation. Maxwell's sex trafficking trial is scheduled for the fall. She has pleaded not guilty. Vexner's name is bound to be discussed during testimony. Those who've known Vexner longest have experienced a range of emotions as they've watched his fall. It's not the less I knew and know, 
former Columbus mayor Greg Lashutka told me. Harold Levin, the former financial advisor who feuded with Epstein, feels a small measure of vindication. When Epstein was arrested, my ex-wife called me and said, you were right, he told me. Vexner's childhood friend Peter Halliday thought that the full extent of Epstein's trail of destruction has yet to be told. I know the story isn't finished, he said. When the whole story does come out, I just hope Les is dead. What a freaking story, ladies and gentlemen. Now, like I said, we're on cold reading here. So I had no idea that this Vanity Fair article was that long. However, I will say it sounds like Vanity Fair is covering for Les Vexner. Because let's face it, whether Jeffrey Epstein took advantage of him or not, the man is most likely still guilty of some very, very, very harsh sins. Okay? Very harsh sins. Anyways, thank you guys for sitting through that article. I really had no idea it was that long. Okay, (laughs) I really had no idea it was that long. We're almost done here, guys, at 530 in the morning. Welcome to Mr. C in the dark, bringing the light to the dark. And we're digging into Les Vexner. We only got a couple of more articles and we'll wrap it up for tonight. And I appreciate y'all's attendance and... uh, y'all's presence here tonight, guys. I was not expecting that. But uh, that's the last Vanity Fair article I have because they only give you one for free. I don't read Vanity Fair, but uh, apparently it goes behind a paywall after that. Uh, Let's see. This article says Les Vexner to step down as the chair of Columbus Partnership. I think we can skip over that one because we just talked about Les Vexner's life in retrospect. Okay, (laughs) so... Let's see here. Alan Dershowitz has deposed ex-Victoria's secret mogul Leslie Vexner as part of his lawsuit against Epstein accuser Virginia Dufresne. This is from the Business Insider. I'm pretty sure we can skip over this article as well. Okay. Because <laughs> we already know everything that's happening based on the last two articles that we just read. Okay. Now here's one from uh, January 19th, 2022. Okay, and this one says, Les Vexner's connection to child trafficking in Columbus, Ohio. So this is actually going to be a good spot to end for tonight. And not because it's a good spot to end for tonight, per se, but because the rest of the articles, I only got two more articles there from the Delaware, Ohio News. And they don't give you a whole lot of information. This one says, Ohio State announces... Vexner Center for Human Trafficking and Sexual Assault. How appropriate is that Leslie Vexner, accused of being a participant or a co-conspirator and all of this stuff, is setting up a uh, help center for human trafficking and sexual assault? Is that not what they normally do? Ladies and gentlemen, that is what they normally do. So we'll look at this one, this last article... And actually, it's not even an article. It's a video. Okay. And uh, Connie Ketchup is asking if I have a link for the bit shoot video. I do. I will pop that in. Give me a give me a momento. 
Oh, that's actually, that's actually the, uh, don't you dare play again. No, 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 no. You ain't playing it again, Gert. Okay. Uh, that's the five minute one. That's the, is this a three hour one? Okay. I will get you that link, Connie Ketchup. Just, uh, if I'm not able to drop it in the chat, I'll drop it in Discord for you, darling. Um, let's look at this one real quick so we can call it a night, guys, because it is 5.30 in the morning. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I got to get up by noon to cover the South Carolina canvassing situation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. But thank you guys for being here tonight. It's been extra special to me that you guys are up this late with me. Okay. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's check this out. Oh, actually, let's read what the, let's read what the article says first. It says, Les Vexner is intimately tied to Jeffrey Epstein, yet no one is seeming to ask any questions about the billionaire's connections to child trafficking because it would be anti-Semitic to do so. They all take this racial level of everything. And I don't think that that's necessary because ultimately anyone could be a child trafficker. Anyone could be a co-conspirator. They don't have to be a Jewish billionaire. And it does not have to be about anti-Semitism, but one could understand where they would use the veil of anti-Semitism in order to not talk about this issue, right? I just don't approve of people putting that as a forbearance to any type of issue. Anyways, okay, let's check out. This is a short, it's like a minute video. And this is actually a good jumping off point, guys, because now what we can do is dig into it deeper, and maybe through some of what we see in this video, we can kind of try and figure out and solve what's going on. But I know that there are most definitely uh, people in the community that know more stuff and have more of an idea about Leslie Vexner's dealings with human trafficking and child sex trafficking in the Ohio region. If you got the knowledge, share it. If you got some links, share it. And we will most definitely dissect it at a point in the future. But we're going to end tonight with this video. So let's just go ahead and get it rolling because the hour is early. And I might as well get some breakfast after this. All right, guys, here we go. Uh, the first building you see is the Abigail Wexner Center for Women. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So no matter where you are, you see Wexner this, Wexner that. But then when you, as you get close to Columbus, there's human trafficking signs everywhere, Whitney. In Ohio, we see the average age of entry into sex trafficking to be about 15 years old. All human trafficking begins and ends in Columbus, Ohio. Isn't that interesting? I had no idea in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they get the kid from Phoenix, before they take them to Mexico, they go to Columbus. What are the chances? I mean, wow. he owns Columbus. Yeah. Why? Why do they take everyone to Columbus first? A former Ohio State University Dr. Richard Strauss are demanding a federal and state investigation into the Wexner family. Strauss is accused of sexually abusing at least 300 young men. What a cliffhanger. Huh, ladies and gentlemen, what a Fargan cliffhanger. And that, as they say, is that. And where we will end tonight's episode of Mr. C in the Dark. I hope you guys enjoyed your time with us this evening. I definitely enjoyed my time with you guys. It's been a pleasure. 
Uh, now, before we hop off, let me just hop on to the chat rooms real quick and uh, say goodnight. Crisco13, Connie Ketchup, Gina from West Virginia, Sonia JHC, The Speak Uneasy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, who else popped in here at the last minute? Uh, we've been on for a minute, guys. Gah. Okay. Uh, Pilled by the Rabbit. We. I Sorry, Pilled by the Rabbit. I missed 420. Uh, let's see, uh, Crisco13, thank you for the can. And, uh, likewise, my friend. And the Texan. <laughs> Texan's like, Mr. C, what the hell, it's 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> God, guys, it's time for bed. Um, thank you all again for being here tonight, uh, for Mr. C in the Dark. I, I think you guys kind of see where I'm taking this show, okay? for these nightly shows. Oh, apparently I got 40 freaking comments. Sorry, Eeyore Explorers. I'm so sorry. I was so busy reading that article. I did not see any of your comments. Thank you for being in the audience. Dude, I'm going to have to go back and read all of these. I had no idea. I was like cold reading an article there. So uh, I had no, uh, yeah, yeah, this is not, uh, this is not a replay. We are live. Eeyore, I know you've been in my audience before Eeyore Explorers, Explorers. I've seen you before. I remember you. I remember you. Thank you for being here tonight. Sorry, I could not address. Uh, you got a lot of good points. Bill Richardson was caught in corruptions with Epstein. Yep, we know this. Uh, Tetraboro hadn't heard of this airport before. Neither had I, buddy. Uh, Lynn Forster de Rothschild. Yeah, you see that that Vanity Fair article, which was basically a cover for Les Vexner. They're trying to push all the sins onto Epstein and just totally ignore Les Vexner's role in it. Named a lot of names and gave us a lot of information. That was some that was some intense stuff right there, guys. So we got it archived on the show right now. Send it to your friends. Share it with people who might be interested. It'll definitely help out a lot. It is sleep time, Eeyore Explorers, and my friends over at the Foxhole, everyone else joining us on Twitch or Clout Hub or Rumble, thanks for being part of the audience tonight. Uh, I am Mr. C, Michael Aaron Cossidis, that's my name. Don't wear it out. And uh, we, will, uh, we will be back tomorrow. Maybe not for in the dark, but we definitely got some stuff to cover about North Carolina. Hopefully I wake up. Because we are T-minus six and a half hours from start time tomorrow, guy. <laughs> I might wake up just in time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you guys have a blessed night. You guys have some good rest. We will see you in the Mangiana, hopefully. I mean, I'll be here. I'll be here. Until then, guys, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. Love you all. Dark to light. We'll keep on doing it the way that we do it. Till next time. We'll see ya.